Welcome to Reframing Our Stories. This podcast is dedicated to deconstructing the stories we've been told about who we are and how we're supposed to be. I'm your host, Kara Houck. I had the privilege of being introduced to Linda K. Klein through our mutual friend, Eric, because we both share a passion of understanding sexuality and its intersectionality with religion. Upon our first phone conversation, I was an immediate fan of her and the work she was doing in the world. Linda is the author of the book, Pure, where she talks about what it was like as an evangelical girl growing up in the purity culture and the effect that it had on her sexuality. The book also highlights the countless other women who she interviewed nationwide on the same topic. Whenever I do workshops within a church community, I tell people about this book because it is excellent and it mirrors so many stories of women who grew up in religious communities in the 90s. Linda has also created a community called Break Free Together that you can follow on Instagram. Break Free Together is a community breaking the silence around shame from purity culture. This community, she holds dinner parties where people come together to share their stories and hold space for one another with grace. Through her work, Linda is changing lives, and I feel very blessed to get to spend time with her today. Linda, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to get to talk to you. And again, it was wonderful reading your book, first of all. Uh, I remember just even messaging you after I read part of where in the book you had snippets of your diary. Hmm. And I was like, oh, hey, that's part of my diary as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, so- it was so wild going through all my diaries when I was writing the book and just reliving all of this really intense emotional experience of what it is to be raised in purity culture and um yeah 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 I, I just I just included that little snippet but there is there is so so many so many evenings that I spent reading through all of my high school and junior high years what were some of the thoughts that came to you when you read those entries I mean it's interesting right so uh, so I became an evangelical when I was in seventh grade And so my journals, I start to get into serious journaling, which by the way, I'm still a very serious journalist um, or journaler. (laughs) I I am such a serious journaler that I I consider it journalism, um, journalism of my psyche. Uh, So so anyway, so, you know, so I got serious about it, I think probably in fifth and sixth grade. And so I have these kind of incredible journal entries about uh, you know, my boyfriend and I have been dating for mm-hmm. a year and he still has not kissed me on the cheek yet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Casey kissed Sarah on the cheek mm-hmm. and I can't wait. And oh my gosh, he came over yesterday and he kissed me on the cheek and it was the most amazing thing that had ever happened. And then I saw Kevin in the bushes watching us. And I, <laughs> anyway, so, I mean, there are all these like incredibly playful, fun, um, journal entries in which I'm holding this kind of like budding romance and sexuality so loosely, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's really, it's really like kind of a blast to read those early journal entries. I just am, I just am so ridiculous and playful. And then I become an evangelical Christian in seventh grade. Mm -hmm. And the tone of my journals 
changes dramatically. And the tone with which I talk about sexuality changes dramatically. You know, so now all of a sudden I have these incredibly serious journal entries, Mm -hmm. right? Incredibly holy, incredibly uh, dedicated, um, trying so hard to be good. Yeah. It's almost like the quieting quieting of your spirit almost. Oh, yeah. No, that is sort of what it felt like. It felt like this Mm -hmm. little spark and this little flame. And then all of a sudden that flame kind of dimmed to this quiet, Mm. quiet church-like, you know, yes. And, yeah. and the way in which I talked about sexuality was, became this incredibly self-punishing way. Mm. Um, so, you know, in the journals that I shared in the book, I shared some journal entries of when I had my first real boyfriend, uh, not counting my grade school boyfriend who <laughs> kissed me on the cheek. Well, Kevin watched from the bushes, <laughs> but, um, but my first real boyfriend, you know, I was 16 and he was an evangelical Christian as well. He was a skater though. So like mm. very cool oh, yeah. and kind of, uh, you know, taboo a little bit, even though he was a good, good boy, you know? <laughs> right. And I just was utterly crazy about him. And though we really had only ever kissed, you know, I had so many feelings about him and my journals are just filled with all of this self-flagellation, like, you know, are you, you know, what's wrong with you? Why are you, why are you like this? Why are you attracted to him? Why are you leading him astray? Mm. Why, you know, are you, did you become a whore? And then, and then I pause this, this, this one journal entry that you might remember where I say, where I say, have you become a slut? And then I say, I am, I'm a slut. And then I say, mm. a slut, what a horrible word. No one is a slut. I'm not a slut. No one is. Right. Who would ever even use that word? You know, and I kind of go through this back and forth where I'm, I'm calling myself the names that I hear people called Mm -hmm. when they have sexual thoughts and feelings. And then you can feel this other part of me. And maybe it's that part that was still, you know, a flame from an earlier time in my life where I just knew, I just Mm -hmm. knew that, that 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 was not the way that people should be looked at, even myself. You know, yeah. Even I had, even I had, um, I deserved better, right? Right. Yeah, I think I keep thinking about the one story of, I don't, I can't remember who it was in your book, but just the fact that she would have thoughts um, and feel sensations because that's a natural thing to occur when we have thoughts around sexuality or desire and that she would hit herself in her privates. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, right? And so, and I think about, and I love that you say, like your journal entries before were playful and stuff, because I think back too with myself, and I remember, I think I've always been a very sexual, curious person um, and had that a part of me. And just, I've, I'm a natural, like, lover, not a fighter <laughs> kind of person. <laughs> and I remember, like, seeing life in that way and also enjoying my body through movement and dance and different things like that. But then again, like you talked about, when I then became more aware 
of the messaging that was being brought to me as turning from girl to woman and then being a part of the church more when I was 14. It was like turning something off and then in my journals, shaming the way that I was thinking of like, oh, well, you can't think this anyway anymore or you can't have these thoughts of desire because now that's bad and you need to be a good girl, you know? And it's just so sad to me to think that so many of us had these thoughts and it's almost like taking away our essence of who we are originally. And so now then quieting all of that and then trying to take like a lifetime almost or whatever the rest of our life to try to refigure out who we are in this process. Mm. You know, do you feel like that? Yeah. Yeah. You're making me think about like, um, like a gas flame, you know, Mm -hmm. I have a, I have a gas stove top and, you know, thinking about that sort of, you know, bright, bright, you know, fire. And then, and then you, and then it eventually gets turned down so, 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 so low mm-hmm. that, you know, that it's barely perceptible. You know, you actually have to like duck your head down and be like, oh, is the, is the flame still on? You mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, the reality is that for a lot of people, you know, the flame turns off yeah. and um, that, that woman who you were citing, who slapped herself between her legs you know, she did that to numb herself. She used, that's the word she used when she described mm-hmm. it to me. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's a really pertinent word because so many of the people who I interviewed and I do coaching now for people who are raised in purity culture, who are working through some things around gender and sexuality. And so many people, you know, are numbed out. Right. You know, they, they, they feel like the flame has been put out, mm-hmm. you know, and and they were promised that if they numbed themselves out and then they got married, that all of a sudden everything would right. just, you know, like yep. the, it would be turned back up onto high, right? Yeah. But, but quite you the know, opposite, right? But quite the opposite, <laughs> right? And mm-hmm. if you know anything about how a gas stove works, you have to, you, you can't go from no light to high. You have to actually relight it. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and start again. And, and so a lot of times, you know, that's, that's what I'm working with people on, you know, how do we relight it? You know, because people have been so trained to disconnect from their sexuality mm-hmm. that sometimes, sometimes they're not able to be sexual at all. Um, physically, there are physical mm-hmm. barriers. Sometimes there are just emotional barriers. Um, you know, sometimes uh, they're able to be sexual, but they are not there, you know, right they're yeah. disassociating. They're just not present themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are others like me who, you know, the flame never went out <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and that was the problem, right? You know, for yeah. me, for me, the reason that I, I, I think really struggled even while I was in purity culture, um, to say nothing of the years of recovery, um, was because I couldn't get the flame to disappear, right? Yeah. And so, so I would have those sexual thoughts, and I'd have those sexual feelings, and I would have that heavy kiss with that boyfriend who, you know, set mm-hmm. my whole everything on fire, you know. Right. And and then came the self battery and the self hatred afterward, um, you know. So there were all kinds of different ways in which this, this, this turned down flame. <laughs> 
you know, um, it, it hurt us in, in different, in depending on what our sort of personal ways of processing it were. Mm-hmm. Well, I think some of the things that we're discovering or some of the things I bring to people too, when I talk with them is I think it's helpful one for people to understand just how much our brain is a function of our sexuality. Right. And that's why we have those walls put up and obstacle courses to go through. Right. When we have that shame, uh, because when we feel that, and when we feel trapped, it's hard to move forward until we understand and process some of that. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that what's been so harmful is the fact that we have made the creator God as someone who is not sexual. And I feel like to me of space for healing for people is when they invite God to, and see God as like this creator of sexuality right? Mm. To, inv- to invite God into that process of healing. I, maybe that sounds strange, but I've had people before where I have talked about for them to help them discover their bodies. I say, and create it as a prayer, you know, like invite God into the process because yeah. you were, you know, created by God. So therefore, you know, <laughs> like, invite that space and find new territories that you haven't uncovered yet. Yeah. But do you, so do you think like some of those things then within purity culture, like one of the things I think it has done, especially for women, one, there's a, there's a power thing happening, right? A patriarchal kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it immediately tells us that, as girls, we don't have worth unless we're attached to a man or as a play a role, right? As a wife or a mom. Yeah. Do you feel like that's true? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 100. I mean, you're not complete exactly. um, without a man, right? So mm-hmm. is, is the teaching. So, you know, so, so purity culture isn't just about sexuality, right? Purity mm-hmm. culture is really about both gender and sexuality. Right. And the gender teaching um, for, for folks who aren't as familiar with it is called complementarianism. Mm-hmm. It's this idea that men and women are quote unquote equal, <laughs> but dot, 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 right? Mm-hmm. But, but. <laughs> <laughs> but they have different roles in the family, in the church, and in society. And some people are a little loose about the society part, but definitely in the family and in the church. Mm -hmm. And that is to say the role of the man is to be a leader, and the role of the woman is to be his cheerleader. (laughs) I've never said it that way before. I've never said that before, but that's good, right? (laughs) Yeah. Put that down. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But it's it's so accurate, right? You You know, she she rises by cheering him into a risen position, right? Oh, yes. So, so mm-hmm. when I was growing up, you know, and, and we would talk about what we wanted to be when we grow up, I remember I had all these friends who would be like, I want to be a pastor's wife. <laughs> and just in retrospect, right? Like what a weird thing <laughs> that we would dream, you know, of, of being like, I want to be attached to this mm. <laughs> and he'll do that and I'll, I'll be attached to it. 
right? Yes. And, and that was sort of the greatest, the greatest um, position that we could imagine holding, right? right? The to big be dream. attached to mm-hmm. the pastor, right? Yeah, yeah, as his supporter, as his cheerleader. Mm. So, and that was complementarianism. That is how men and women complemented each other um, in this worldview. And if either of those two people in this heteronormative um, frame are to go outside of that expectation, the entire thing falls apart, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, so, so that's why there's a lot of, in evangelicalism, there's a lot of shaming of women who are too strong, women who are too confident, women who are too intelligent and unwilling to hide it or to diminish it, hmm. um, women who do not dress femininely enough, um, you know, God forbid, who are in any way, you know, not on the far feminine end of the gender spectrum, right? Right. Sure. Um, and likewise, there's a lot of shaming of men who are not the stereotypical masculine sort mm-hmm. of image, right? Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, so yeah, so that, so that's the gender piece of it, and then the sexuality piece of it is that everyone, but especially women and girls, need to be um, asexual. Uh, that is to say, you know, pure absent, empty of all sexuality. And that includes sexual choices, of course, but it also includes sexual thoughts and feelings. And if you're a woman or a girl, it includes inspiring, again, I'm putting quotes up in the air, um, sexual thoughts and feelings in men. So Mm -hmm. even if I have never had a sexual thought in my life, right, have been so so separated and so numbed out, (laughs) you know, that I have no attachment to my sexuality. You know, if a man sees me as sexual, Mm -hmm. surely I have done something. You have it. Yes. I have inspired it. I, yes, 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 Mm -hmm. yes. So, so, so the purity culture frame, you know, is hard on everyone, but, um, but I feel like women and girls get a, an especially, raw deal within this and, um, and are really put into a position where they, um, they, they actually, you know, the way that you succeed within the culture is by having a dim light and, yeah. and a dim light in every sense of the word, not just your sexuality's dim light, but a dim light overall, it's to be not noticed. It's to be not paid attention to. You know, not to be noticed as a sexual creature, not to be noticed as an intelligent creature, not to be noticed as an active creature of any kind with any agency, right? Right. But to be in the background, to be the pastor's wife, that's Mm. how you succeed. My gosh. I feel like you're kind of explaining my whole story. (laughs) I, well, I am a pastor's wife. (laughs) Ah, yes. Right. Yes. Yes, of course. And I will tell you, um, for a while, I was, I felt that way. I felt like for him to succeed, well, when he started becoming a pastor right when we had our first child, and I was like in mama land, and then just all of a sudden was put into a role of pastor's wife, and it was in a smaller community, and I think a little more old-fashioned, and I found myself taking on this role that I was like, um, I actually don't know. Like, this is not <laughs> what mm-hmm. I bargained for. Like, I also went to seminary. I also know how to talk about these things. But it, it was like somehow I found myself in this pigeonhole of a identity. And it was hard. 
until I forced myself out of that role. Into, I mean, like I'm still a pastor's wife, but I have set up different boundaries for myself in different ways of being like, I can't do this. I'm not going to do this. This is me. This is who I am. I am separate from him. We are partners, but you know what I mean? Like it yeah. had to, because uh, it was, it was very lonely. Yeah. Um, those uh, few years uh, when I was in that, when he was in that call. But it's so fascinating. It's just fascinating to me in general that it's the whole like societal, cultural thing, right? Of these gender roles and different things. But to also to then be worshiping a God and thinking so limitedly, is that a word? <laughs> like, I yeah. feel like we limit God so much, right? By saying, you know, in order for you to be worthy you have to be small mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. does not mm -hmm. make any sense mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. if you think it about it mean. yeah like so it, it fascinates me how those things go together you know or how they became together and how they happened the fact that we have this we sing these how great is thy faithfulness and how great is this god and then we're telling so many people please be small yeah Oh, yes. No. Yes, you are made in God's image. And now please be small and not noticeable because if you're noticed in any way, mm -hmm. you know, it is because of your sinfulness and not because of your holiness. Right. It's yeah. backwards. <laughs> it's really backwards and makes doesn't make any sense when you think about it. I mean, it, it reminds me of, I, I, I think a lot about how so much of our religious teaching comes from the positions of people in power, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, if we're only given, historically speaking, um, men are the only ones who are able to quote unquote interpret. I'm using a lot of air quotes. So I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to like let people know. I feel your air quotes. <laughs> yeah. feel my air quotes who are allowed to um, hear the voice of God and, and you know, and, and share it um, and certainly write it down, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so we've got all these texts that are through the, the voices of educated men. Right. And there are so many norms that are built in to these ideas that I think are so, that are not universal, right? Mm -hmm. that, that really speak to that experience, <laughs> you know, not just that, that context and that time, but the experience of what it is to be um, you know, the, in the position, um, in the world in which these people were, mm -hmm. um, which certainly wasn't like purely powerful, but certainly wasn't, um, uh, purely unpowerful either. Right? right. So, so it's interesting. It makes me think, you know, one of the things that I sometimes talk about is a lot of these teachings we need to complicate if we are not in the audience that, um, for whom it was initially written, whether or not that was ever, you know, intended. So one thing that I mentioned in the book is um, pride, right? You know, yeah. we've got all these teachings about how you shouldn't be prideful. You know, you should be humble. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that makes a lot of sense. If you're somebody who might struggle <laughs> with pride and right. being too proud, right? And standing out too much because maybe you're a bully, right? And maybe you talk over people. And maybe you think you're really all that, 
you know, but the majority of people who are disempowered in society, that ain't their problem, right? They're Mm -hmm. not doing a whole lot of talking over people because frankly, society won't allow it. That's the truth. So they've internalized a totally different ecosystem, right? And in their ecosystem, their internal ecosystem, you know, humility is, is probably a, a, a higher mm-hmm. uh, percentage of their makeup than pride, right? The right. insecurity, the, oh, I shouldn't have said that. The, oh, I can't believe I said that. The, oh, I won't say that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, so, and so, you know, some of these concepts really need to be, um, you know, ex- excavated and reconsidered, right? So, so I love the idea of pride being a virtue, you know, for those of us who have not had a heavy dose of pride in our lives, you know, chances are that the way in which we need to work on pride is to bring it into balance by having more of it. Right. Sure. Yeah. So it's like trying to, again, change the way we see things. So how do you believe as a society with the, I mean, with the work that you're doing, you're getting all these people's stories um, I'm assuming people are coming to you all the time and talking to you about this. Yeah, How do daily. you see us being able to change as uh, religiously around this and then culturally? Mm. And do you believe like that it's happening? Do you think that we can get to a place where we're going to be more, more equal and where we are able to see sexuality as something that's not going to just be a place of shame. Yeah. Well, I think I made a decision uh, pretty early on that my role in this work was not to convince churches to be different. Although I have done some work with churches with my nonprofit, but you know, but that but that was never really my intended audience. You know, I I've had enough experience trying to change church when I was um, smack dab in the middle of evangelical culture to to know that that is um, a difficult thing to do when you're on the inside and a much more difficult thing to do when you're on the outside. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality is, is though I'm still a Christian, I'm not an evangelical anymore. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, and I think I'm, I'm, you know, coming from a different position these days, right? And, and, um, and I'm trusted by a different population these days. So, so my theory has never been to kind of go in and see if I can talk to the head pastors and see if I can talk to the, the celebrities, um, you know, I mean, and let's be honest, it's really more the celebrities than it is the head pastors who are making these decisions, right? It's mm. the, it's the institutional, the bigger institutional heads, right? right. It's the bigger corporate heads. Um, it's the, it's the bigger political heads, right? Those are the ones who are really shaping the subculture. Um, you know, so, so, so I made a decision pretty early on not to go that route. And instead, you know, my theory of change for my work, right, though we need people coming in at every, every angle of this, um, but for my work is to go directly to the people who are hurting, mm-hmm. right, directly to the people who know from personal experience that this isn't working, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I believe that if we can actually create the conditions for those people, those people that I know from personal experience are hurting and um, often silent about it. Mm-hmm. You know, if we can create the conditions for them to come into voice, not with me, not with their head pastors, but with one another, 
you know, I think that we can create a groundswell that will actually shift our churches and shift our culture. So one thing that happened to me when I was um, experiencing issues myself is, you know, after I left evangelicalism, I thought that I was no longer going to struggle with sexual shame and fear and anxiety. And I found that actually I struggled more than ever because now I was starting to try to address my sexual shame and fear and anxiety and everything in my body that had been trained to never look at those things was screaming. Mm. And so I started to have these bodily expressions of this scream, you know, that um, where was PTSD like in nature, right? I started to have sure. nightmares. I started to have um, anxiety that was so great that it would come out in my body in multiple ways. Um, you know, through my eczema, through, you know, my um, breakdowns, you know, whenever I would try to explore sexuality, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And I thought for a lot of years that I was the only one experiencing all of that. And it really wasn't until in my mid-20s in an act of desperation that I started to call up the girls that I went to church with um, and started to tell them what I was experiencing and heard from them you know, that, that they were experiencing many of the same things, though they hmm. also thought that they were the only ones. Yeah. They also thought that nobody else could possibly be, be being experiencing these things. Um, and therefore, we should never tell anyone about it. Because to tell anyone would be to invite um, damnation, right? Yeah. Um, so, so here we all are experiencing the same things, whether we're in the church or out of it, married or single, did the whole purity thing up until the day, you know, we said the vows or not, right? Um, Here we are all experiencing these things and all feeling like we're the only one. Yeah. Well, it's almost like that's what it sets it up to do. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because in so many ways, I mean, it sets it up to do it, um, you know, just on a, a, a neurological level even, right? Mm-hmm. Certainly the certainly certainly on a church level, but on a neurological level, you know, shame creates silence and yeah. creates disconnection with self and others. Yeah. And then you've got a systems level. You've got a not only your internal neurological shame workings, but you've got a culture that is shaming, mm-hmm. right? Where if you somehow get past your own shame enough to speak up, you will be shamed by those around you. Right. So right. there's two, there are two layers of shaming that you have to get through to, to have a voice. Right. And so, so what, that's why one of the things that I've been really been working on is, is I, I talk a lot about story exchange hmm. because I really believe that if we just tell the truth about our lives, that that would be so radical, so transformative, right. that it would actually have a better chance of disrupting the status quo than any soliciting any major power leader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. to, to please stop shaming us. Right. Right. So, so I do, um, I do the coaching that I mentioned, but I also have started to explore and it should be come, it should be out by the time this podcast goes out, um, kind of like a group coaching space where people can come into story exchange with one another. Oh, um, great. and we can come together online on zoom and, you know, have different topics each week where we come at it from a different frame, but, you know, allow people who don't have a community at home mm. to find community with people across the country, you know, and yeah, start to, start to create that little bubble of story exchange. And then also, you know, we're going to be moving into 
um, you talked about in your introduction, the dinners that we do, mm-hmm. um, we're moving into something new where we're going to actually be training people to lead the dinners themselves, you know, whether it be over Zoom or whether it be in their home, you know, how do you gather with four to five friends, you know, and, and prepare, we'll do a lot of preparation, a lot of working with people on their own stuff, because you got to work through your own stuff before you bring it to your community. 100%. But <laughs> Right, yeah. But yeah. then how do you bring it to your community? And how do you, how do you take the role within your, you know, family or within your friend set to say, you know, what would it be like to have a purity culture story exchange where, you know, where we can trust each other enough to tell the truth? For sure. Man, we have to do more. <laughs> this is really, good. I was like, everything you're explaining, I'm like, yes, this is what has to happen. Yes, right? You know? Well, one of the things too, when I have gone in, into communities that I have said about around shame and sexuality, I was like, we put, you know, sexual sin, we have, we have created a hierarchy of sin and, for, and sex is at the top. And I said, but if you think about it, like that involves relationships. And I was like, and it's in relationships that we learn. And so we most likely are going to make more of our mistakes, <laughs> right? In relationships and fumblings. And I'm like, so really that's the place where we need to have the most grace. Mm. And we need to be the most forgiving. And we need to learn how to hold space for another and like cradle each other in those hard times and understanding of those things. That's exactly what you are creating is you're creating these spaces to hold people in to say, okay, so let's talk about, you know, these feelings we have and then who we are naturally as human beings, because we were created to be sexual creatures, you know, and let's talk about that. And let's do so in a way where as when we talk about it, like Brene Brown always says, you know, shame doesn't have the breath to live when you talk about these things. And so yeah. I loved, like, I got to be a part of your, one of your break free together dinners here in Sacramento. And, you know, I, I didn't know completely what to expect, even though I had, <laughs> I read about it and everything, but it was still new. But I have to say, sitting down with people who I had never met and then hearing their stories. And we told the most Mm. personal things about ourselves to strangers, right? Mm. I'm like, I don't know you and I may never see you again. (laughs) Who knows? But you know more about me than some of my friends do. And Mm. it was a moment where we just saw, it was like you could just see the person clearly and they saw you clearly as well and you could just be in that space together and you're like how wonderful would it be if we could have this all the time <laughs> you know yeah right so it was really wonderful and it was great too because we were such different age groups and different races and I don't know it was just really great so I love that well, I'm so happy to hear yeah. that I don't think you talked to me about about this afterward I don't remember I remember hearing about your experience. I'm so happy it went so well. Yeah, no, it was wonderful. I just felt how great. And this is, and you know, and it's around a table and it's in dinner. And this is what I have said to people all the time. is like, if you want to learn about intimacy, have a meal together. Like, yeah, you know, that's what Jesus did. He had meals with us and being around a table 
and learning how to see each other eye to eye is a place of intimacy. And we have grown to be, I think, afraid of those spaces because we have to be vulnerable. And vulnerability is very scary, I think, even more today mm -hmm. um, with how sometimes we also distance ourselves through technology. So the fact like that you're creating these spaces, but then also finding the same shape of that within the virtual world, especially now with what we're doing uh, with this, you know, quarantine is yeah. very essential and needed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so it's been, you know, a while since your book has came out now, what has changed for you the most from your book being out? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, it took me 15 years from the day I did my first formal interview, not, not the day I first started sort of talking to my friends I grew up with in the church, but, you know, um, since the day I did my first formal interview, it's been 15 years. That's amazing. It, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think that when I, when I was sort of waiting for the book to come out and the book hadn't come out yet, um, but I had finished writing it. I, I had this vision, which was, oh man, I've just been um, tooth and nail fighting to get this heard for 15 years, right? Yes. Um, or a little less than 15 years then, because this is a couple of years ago. But, you know, I, and, and like, I'm tired, you mm. know? Mm. And, and when I had finished writing the book before it came out, you know, still the word purity culture was barely used, barely used. It's hard to, it's hard for people, I think, sometimes to remember how very, very recent that term is. In fact, it was so new when I finished writing my book, um, you know, that while writing my book, I actually considered um, not using the term purity culture because I actually don't really love the term purity culture. I, I think that implies, um, it, it gives credence to the word purity. Hmm. Um, you know, and I would much prefer call it what it is, which is shame culture. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. So purity culture was such an unrecognized term and so brand new that I, I actually almost didn't use it. <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and since the book has come out, you know, everything, everything is totally different. Right. Um, I thought before the book came out, when I was imagining all this, man, I've been working so hard to have this see the light of day for so long. I'm tired. You know, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to bring this to as many people as I can. Um, but then I got to move on, right? I got to, I got to move on to something that um, brings me joy. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I got to stop fighting to be heard on this, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, some, some, a series of events happened. Uh, Me Too happened mm. very soon before the book came out. Um, the book came out, and I think that the book has been very successful and so has played, uh, has been another kind of voice. Um, and then, you know, a lot of other voices have, have um, been part of the conversation. You know, certainly yours, of course, um, Joshua Harris coming forward and saying, Oops, maybe, <laughs> maybe, yeah. uh, maybe my books that have, you know, impacted hundreds of thousands, you know, at minimum people, you know, with purity culture messages were actually doing more harm than good, right? Yeah. Um, so you had all of a sudden this proliferation of um, 
of voices, some, some sort of smaller voices where someone was just telling their friend, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and some big voices like Joshua Harris saying, you know, <laughs> my bad, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I was 21. I didn't know what I was doing, but. <laughs> so, yeah. So this, so this, all of a sudden it was just like, all of a sudden it was in the air and it was in the conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember sort of looking around and being like, oh, oh, I can't move on from this, right? Like all of a sudden I'm hearing from people every day. Sure. You know, the book came out, the book came out in September of 2018 and I still hear from people almost every single day. Yeah. You know, and, and it feels like there has just suddenly been light uh, on this issue. And even people who are in the evangelical church, I think are talking about it. And I know, I know they are talking about it. Maybe not everyone, but a lot of them, mm. you know? mm-hmm. And, and so it's been really incredible. And, and, and if you had told me that I was going to be, um, you know, working on this today, I actually would have been quite surprised. I didn't expect to create the nonprofit. I didn't expect to start doing the coaching or the group coaching or anything like that. Right. Right. I, I, I really thought I would be somewhere else, but this, this incredible opening has happened. And now we're able to have conversations that we were just not able to have anymore. And, and though I, though I, you know, still there's a piece of it that, you know, is, is heart wrenching for me. You know, there's also a part of it that is, that is, um, uh, it's not draining me as much as it used to. Right. Because I'm not having to fight um, to be heard because I don't feel like I'm the only voice, you know, I don't feel like I'm the only one. I feel like there are, there's a real true community, a true movement of people who are standing up together, which was always, you know, what I was hoping would happen. Right. And, and is, and is one of the things that I was trying to, um, uh, be a part of through the way in which I did the book. Um, but it happened, right. You know, Mm -hmm. like, it's like, I mean, to use, to use, um, you know, a religious language, I really felt like all these years of waiting, um, and feeling like it was probably my fault that, that it hadn't come out yet. Right. And that I hadn't been able to, um, to get the book, um, you know, into, into the world, um, you know, one might say, well, actually know that this was divine planning. Yeah. Right. right. I was going to say like, it's that whole, this was God's timing. And who who could have ever anticipated, who could have ever anticipated that at this moment in time, not the moment I finished reading it, writing it, not the moment I, um, you know, got the book deal. None of those things that were in my control. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm quoting that you know, but in this moment in which it was released, this moment that I had nothing to do with its date, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It was the moment in which so many of us were unleashed, you know? Um, And and it became, I think, part of a cultural conversation that that I now have been very um, blessed by the the conversation that I get to be a part of, Mm. you know? I get yeah. to like, I get to have conversations with people who are ready to have them because, mm-hmm. um, because I'm not sort of introducing the concept for the first time, right? This is something that, that has been bubbling, yeah. you know, all over the country, all over the world. And we all kind of bubbled up around the same time in this magical divine way. Well, I just feel like, I mean, people are hungry and thirsty for it, right? Because 
when I, the time period when I grew up and I think about a lot of us now, I'm now 40. I feel like there's been so many conversations I've had with friends where we have sat down for coffee and we're like, so have we been bamboozled? <laughs> like, <laughs> mm. Our expectations of like, of our lives and like how things were, like how we thought things were supposed to be, even mm. in sexuality. And just knowing that, you know, we grew up with a sex education um, of fear and of don't do it and you need to be pure and having these thoughts, you know, the drill, right? You shouldn't be having these thoughts. And so I want to say that so many people are, are like you had talked about again in the beginning, like how do we figure this out? How do we know what desire, desire looks like? How do we know what arousal is? How do we work this in to who we are as these spiritual life-breathing creatures? To have someone bring this book out and create space for it, has made people go like, oh, you know, it's like that exhale. And I tell, I've said before, like in some of my workshops, when I start workshops, I basically started off by talking about, let's say why it's hard to talk about sex is because all of us have guilt and shame and we haven't known what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And people come into workshops around sex education with their um, shoulders up to their ears. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, they walk away breathing again and their shoulders are placed where they need to be right it's like mm -hmm. they have been inhaling for so long and so now they're exhaling and I feel like everyone you're just like it's it did come out at the perfect time because I think people have just been like what the hell like <laughs> mm. why, why is this happening and how come I'm not maybe um experiencing this great gift that everyone said it was as a gift, you know, why is it something that's filled with pain and anguish? And I think about, cause I remember reading some of the cards on the break free together Instagram on your site where someone had written, you know, sexual sex has never been about pleasure for me mm. and they never will be. You know, mm. like their sexual experiences was always about pain. And I'm like, <gasps> like, how true is that for so many people? But yeah, yeah, we only hear of stories about how great sex is and sex can look like this and sex can sound like this. And so when it doesn't match our experiences, then we feel continuously more alienated. And I would say not just sex can, but sex should. Right. And yeah. and if and if sex doesn't, then there's something wrong with you. Exactly. That's the narrative, right? You know, so in purity culture, you would learn if it doesn't, if it isn't amazing, you know, that means you did something wrong. Right. Like you were impure mm -hmm. in some way. So know, this is all like the cross I have to bear now. Kind yeah. Of, so this right? is, the, this is your punishment for maybe you masturbated, mm -hmm. you know, maybe you, um, you know, inspired too many sexual thoughts and maybe you didn't fight off your husband before you got married well enough, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is that you did wrong, you know, now you have to deal with an imperfect life because you were imperfect. Mm -hmm. And, and so many of the people I talk with now, um, you know, that's what they're dealing with. It's this, everything, everything would be, if everything in my life were perfect, it would mean that I 
was perfect and I was good and I was pure. And if Mm. everything in my life is not perfect, which is to say if everything in my life is just life, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, and if sex is just sex, because it's not all that, like it's not all everything, right? Right. Um, You know, it just is what it is, right? You know, then then I, I'm pausing on that because I don't want to make it sound bad, right? You know, but like, it is what it is. It's just like every, like everything. Sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not. Sometimes, <laughs> you know? Sometimes it's not going to be wonderful, people. <laughs> sometimes right. it will be. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like, I don't know. Anyway, so, so, you know, so, so when it's not, then people feel like, you know, there's something wrong with me. And I would mm-hmm. say that in society, it's kind of the same way. You know, we learn that if that you're supposed to be even outside of the church, you know, we learn you're supposed to be having this amazing sex life. Right. You're supposed to be like totally open and free and having, you know, incredible experiences and everyone you're with is supposed to have incredible experiences and that's supposed to prove your worth. Mm-hmm. And if you aren't, and if they aren't, then you aren't mm-hmm. worthy. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're flawed. You are. You you're flaws. flawed. Yeah. You're flawed. Right. Yeah. And, and I, and I feel like it's interesting it's interesting because I really do think that some of that is the result of our having um, put put sexuality up on an untouchable pedestal, right? It's oh, untouchable sure. where we won't touch it. We have too much shame around it. Um, but also we consider it to be so incredible, so holy, right? right. That, that none of us can ever really um, touch the the sort of perfect story that we've been told about it oh yeah I think that's 100% true the whole fact of you know growing up it's supposed to be this the most cherished thing that you do with a person and therefore it has to be honored above everything else you know it puts it up in that place where if it's not that then what And I do think, I feel like we have to change the conversation around sex, right? Like it is a place where you intimately connect to a person and where you get to experience something. And we can go on for hours about this. You know, I talk about too, like with virginity, for instance, like the whole, like, don't, uh, when people talk about virginity, which I no longer like using that term at all, but it's like, I, I gave my virginity away or he mm-hmm. took my virginity. It's like, no, like, I feel like sexual experiences should be shared. We shouldn't be taking, <laughs> we shouldn't be, you know, if we're taking, then it's not consensual, you know, yeah, and then yeah. something is wrong there. Yes. It's a place. I almost think we have to make sex a place where it's like, yes, it's a great place of connection. And we have to start seeing it more, I think, as like, a way of connecting instead of making it in this religious communities of like the ultimate be all. Right. Because we're, there's something about that that then makes it too big. I don't know how to explain it, but there's too much pressure. Agreed. Right. Agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. Absolutely. And makes it special, um, you know, as though it weren't subject to the other rules of life. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, we wouldn't expect every, though you might have a conversation with someone that is life-changing, you mm-hmm. know, if you expect every conversation you have with them to be life-changing, you probably shouldn't have very many conversations with them. Oh, yeah. 
That's wonderful. Right? That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, like, you know, sex is, sex is, um, you know, not to, not to sort of downplay the power, but, um, but, but, you know, let's not overplay it either. <laughs> right? mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Tell me about more than you're, you're doing all these other things for right? of coaching and changing the way you're doing the break free together. What have you continued to learn in this process? And I'm curious now what you think, and this is the big question, right? From throwing God in. What do you believe that God has taught you in this process then about sexuality for you? Mm -hmm. Just, you know, small questions. Yeah, this is a great question. So you, so you, before this podcast, you told me that you might ask me a question. You said you're sitting in a park with God alone, having a talk. What is God saying to you? Yes. What do you believe that God is trying to tell the rest of us regarding sexuality? Yes. Um, is, and I feel like that's kind of what you're getting at now. It's what I'm getting at. Yeah. But it was such an intense way that you phrased it in the question. Normally when I read questions before a podcast, I'm just like, okay, I feel like I feel like I can figure that out, right, mm -hmm. um, in real time. Um, but that one, I was like, oh, my God, I'm sitting on a park bench with God. What does God have to say? Like, oh, my God, I need to spend some time with this before the podcast because I can't, I can't just be like, well, well, let me just give it a little moment. That's what you get. God, anything to share? Would agreeing like to talk to, to a theologian. To vessel, to vessel through to the podcast sphere. Um, so, so anyway, so, so I did think a little bit about this one. So I, I actually sat down and thought about it. And um, for what it's worth, you know, first of all, though I am, you know, very much a, a feminist, um, though, of course, that word has a lot of baggage, but I am one who believes in everyone's equal <laughs> worth and rights. Mm -hmm. and, and one who believes that God is genderless. You know, the first thing that really came to me was, was that person who showed up on that bench next to me was a man. <laughs> I was like, come on. Come You're on. like, no, <laughs> you're not a man. I was like, <laughs> rewind, rewind. Um, you know, I, I, which I, which I think is just like, it, it's just, it's all so hardwired into us. Right. Oh, so even, sure. even though, even though I've done so much work on this, like still, if I put it into a visualization form where something is going to come sit on a bench with me, which there, which puts it into a body sh shape in my mind, right? Mm -hmm. That's still the body. That's yeah. still the body. Yeah. And, and what does that say to me about my body? Right. And, yes. and about, anyway, so that's like so the that finger was the first snap thing. right there. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Whose body is not made in, um, you know, in reflection of God, right? right. Not mine. Mm. So, so then after I did some work sort of uh, trying to, you know, de-gender de um, the image that was coming to my mind, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I really sat with this question. I just kind of like sat in the um, silence a little bit with it. And, and the thing that really came up to me was, was, was that, you know, sexuality, was all just kind of part of the plan and part of the big picture, right? Mm -hmm. In the same way in which, you know, we have been given food for very important reasons and the need to eat for very important reasons and the need to sleep 
for very important reasons. Can you imagine, can you imagine if we as bodies didn't need to sleep? Mm. How chaotic that would be, right? How chaotic, right? Mm -hmm. When would, when would we, when would we refuel? When would we pause? When would we slow down, right? Or would we, or would we just be always slow because we couldn't handle it? So when would we speed up, right? Like if we didn't have the seasons of the day, I can't imagine, I can't imagine life without sleep, right? Like sleep plays such an important restorative role. And, and that's why I think, you know, we were made to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. You know, we're made to want to go to sleep. We're made to want to linger in bed because sleep should be something that we enjoy. And it feels good. Um, it feels so good. It feels Hmm. so good. Right. (laughs) And there, well, you see where I'm going here, you know, and there, and there's so many other things that God has given us that are just about ways of, of life, Mm -hmm. you know, like eating, like drinking water, you know, like being with other people and supporting other people, like doing kind things for other people. These things feel good for a reason. Right you know, because they keep us going in a healthy way. And similarly, you know, sexuality is just all part of the plan, right? You know, like we have sexuality for some very important, reasonable reasons, like the um, continuation of the species. Yes. Um, you know, some, not everyone needs to be a part of that, but you know, that's certainly sort of a biological um, component right? Component for, for many folks. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but it's not like a, it feels good, you know, it feels good because we're supposed to want it. Exactly. You know, we're supposed to enjoy it. We're supposed to be drawn to it, you know, Mm -hmm. and that, and that's just part of the picture. It's not good. It's not bad, Mm -hmm. you know, just like, you know, like our negotiation with sleep and with food and with water and with others, you know, isn't always good or bad. And I think it also goes along with like some people need more sleep, some people need less sleep, some right. people need <laughs> more of other right. things, you know, and some right. people need less. That's yeah. right. And it doesn't have to be the a picture of every person's life, right? So, sort of yep. the more what was coming to me on that park bench was like, this is a part of the world. And, and that's why, you know, I paused on that biological piece because I don't want to make a heteronormative assumption that like, well, mm-hmm. everyone must have kids or even a, or even you know, within heterosexual couples, right? Not everyone right. needs to have kids, but like from a larger, from a larger sort of view of life, mm-hmm. right? Like capital L life, right. like all of us collectively, right? Like there's a much bigger sort of picture of, of how we just continue to survive mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, um, that, that involves pleasure in a really, really intentional, beautiful way. Right. You know, pleasure, pleasure is purposefully put there to keep things keeping on. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't know, I don't, I, you know, I'm hesitant to like, you know, I, I I heard you just take a breath. Can I, can I caveat myself and then, yeah, I want to caveat myself because I mean, I'm, you know, I'm hesitant to claim anything about like, then God says, you know, so so you can take this with the, the grain of salt that is, you know, me sitting down before this podcast and, and spending, you know, some time really sitting with this question in silence and imagining God with me on it, um, you know, and, and, and you can determine whether or not you want to take it as God's voice. 
Um, you know, and I'll just share that it's what came up for me in that moment in which I asked God what God had to say, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that there's, I do think that there's something, there's something beautiful about kind of, you know, occasionally like taking a step back, right? Like they talk about uh, what is it? The balcony view, right? Like, are mm-hmm. you on the dance floor seeing just your, you know, fellow dancers right next to you? Um, you know, what happens if you go up to the balcony and you can see the ebbing and swaying of the entire dance floor, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how does it all shift? And and I feel like I was kind of invited in that moment to to kind of step back and say, like, hmm. relax, you know, like, you know, you don't have to look so close at everything that's happening right next to you or in you in this moment, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's all so much bigger. 100%. No, that's great. And I think where I, where I was taking a breath, if I can recall what I was saying. Please. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah. No, that's okay. It's, I just think about one, I believe, right. That God delights in God's creation. And if this is a part of the creation, then God would delight in us experiencing these multiple ways of connecting. And I think all of those ways, like food, sleep, like you talked about, sex it's a form of connection to self to others and to the bigger picture to god you know and somewhere along the way i think we've we have shifted what they mean and so that's when i think that gets a little bit um murky i guess Mm -hmm. do you know Mm -hmm. what i'm saying so, and it would be interesting too, the fact like also all of those things give us a sense of pleasure too. Yes. Love that you said and like made connection to and how, wouldn't it have that been so different to hear that kind of message from a pulpit? Yeah. Can you imagine? Here's, here's what I wrote down. Here's what I wrote down when I did the, um, when I did the exercise for what it's worth, like when I yeah, kind of came yeah. out of the exercise, I wrote. I made it pleasurable so you would want it. I want you to want it. I want you to enjoy it, just like I want you to enjoy the other needs I gave you. You know, I, I, I pause on the word need. I don't, you know, want to over overstate um, things. But, but you know, what I wrote was the other needs I gave you: drinking, sleeping, eating, etc. But I think the part that I, you know, wanted to read out loud was like, if there is any message, you know, that came out of this, it's I want you to enjoy it. You know. I, I, that's how, you know, that's, that's why I designed it as enjoyable. Right. Which (laughs) I remember a long time ago, I was asking youth ministers this like years ago, are we ready to talk about, you know, sex and church? Where are you guys at with this? And um, a person raised their hand and she's like, well, why, why do you think people, you know, kids, kids today or kids in general, want to have sex like why do you think this is happening and was very concerned in asking this question and a mentor of mine a good friend of mine who's a pastor said uh have has everyone in this room forgot that sex feels good (laughs) (laughs) and I was like yeah she goes you guys sex feels good do we not know this like oh my god and I just love that she said that and everyone just goes oh yeah (laughs) 
almost like it takes the mystery out of it. It's like we're drawn to what, you know, feels good and stuff. It's just, you know, then here lies a different conversation, but. Right. And I, and I think the reason I keep pausing about needs and I pause on, on even the, like, I want you to enjoy it is because it's because I don't, what I don't want that to come off as is in any way a message to anyone who's listening, who is not enjoying it, that there is anything wrong with them. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, you know, or, or to asexual people, that there's anything wrong with them. Mm -hmm. You know, there is, there is, um, there is a system, you know, that has affected many of um, the people who are not enjoying it, mm-hmm. um, that has purposefully made it so. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so the last thing I would want is, you know, some, some, sometimes what I hear, sometimes what I hear from some evangelicals who um, believe that purity culture works is somebody will come to them and say, um, listen, our sex life isn't working. You know, I'm experiencing a lot of shame. I feel so guilty about sex. Da da da. And the the pastor, like this, comes up in the act of marriage, <laughs> the mm. book, the act of marriage. Mm. Like, I think that it's like such the funniest way to describe sex. But it's called um, the, act, the active. I think it's called the act of the marriage. Act of marriage. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's I can't remember if that's its new name or its old name. The book changed names, but. Um, cause it's quite old and it's been through a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of releases, but, but anyway, so, you know, so, so this pastor in, um, one of the authors of that book, um, says, you know, in this counseling session, I said to the, to the woman, you know, while you just aren't embracing God's plan for your sex life. Mm. And that's something that I've heard from so many people who have gone to, um, religious leaders for support on this, you know, instead of being told, well, you know, you're experiencing a lot of shame because you've been deeply shamed for decades, you right. know, and, and I would like to take, you know, this moment to apologize on behalf of so many, you know, who have done this and, and let me help you um, to heal, right? Instead of that, there is a, a, a second layer of shaming, Mm-hmm. Now, not only did you, you know, are you experiencing this shame in the first place, but you should be ashamed for experiencing that shame. Oh, gosh. There's yeah. something wrong with you. And that's why you're experiencing the shame. It's not something wrong with us and what we taught you. It's something wrong with you and your interpretation of what we taught you or your sinfulness and not oh. adhering to what we taught you. In some way, it's your fault, yeah. right? And and so so I just I just want to like, I just want to I, make sure that no one hears. Yeah that you know under under this message it's almost like the whole messaging is so narcissistic right like there's this sense of in narcissism right there's like that sense of blame and it's like constantly blaming another the person about how like you said perceiving what they've learned and then the way that they're reacting to that do you know mm. what I mean you get what I'm saying yeah yeah. It's very strange. Well, I mean, it's an interesting, it's an interesting frame to think about, right? It mm-hmm. is kind of a, a narcissistic worldview. It's like, this is the worldview. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the only way it is. I've got it. We've yeah. got it. Any, any other opinions, any other experiences are invalid. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's their, their misinterpretation, their sinfulness that is creating that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I, that's a, that's a really, that's a really helpful 
um, way to, I think, think about it to a certain extent, right? Like anytime mm -hmm. it's all me and I'm the only one who's got the answers or we're the only ones who've got the answers, um, you know, we're and in some dangerous ground. And it's hard to then engage in any sort of, I think, reconciliation almost within that context because it almost feels like you can never win, right? You can never have your sense of understanding and viewpoint be seen. That's, I do think, you know, takes a lot of time and the stepping away and to reconfigure and then to have that understanding of, oh, I'm, I'm, I am okay, you know? <laughs> so I do think again, like, and it, I think it goes to show then just the length of time, even with, within your process, right? How it's, you said it took 15 years and everything for the whole project, but it's like when you look at it from that standpoint, it makes sense, you know? Yeah. And it's like now people are, are at that point where they can hear and be open and to understand, you know, the messages and how they came across and how deeply shame yeah. has, you know, been growing and yeah. just being and like a part of everyone, so... Yeah. And I think, you know, over those 15 years, I'm increasingly capable of having those conversations too, right? In the yeah. early years, the early years, I knew what I know now at a guttural level, mm -hmm. but I hadn't healed enough to right. have the bravery to put it out there. I, I, I sometimes um, talk about this, but not very often. You know, I, I had two blogs, um, both of which I deleted after gaining followings about this topic long before the book was ever out. Um, because it's scary. It's scary to talk about these things. Yeah, it you know, it's, it's scary to, to put it out there. And, and, you know, you really can only do it when you're ready. And, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, you talked a little bit about Break Free Together on Instagram. You know, I, I have all these different variations of ways that you can enter into the sacred story exchange, right? Because, because we're not all able yeah. to put out a blog right now, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I wasn't myself, you know, so, so, you know, so the, so the Instagram postcard campaign that you were talking about, you know, is literally people just writing their stories on a postcard and sending it in, mm. you know, and coaching is like, if you just want to talk to one person yeah. or, you, or, you know, like now you want to get into a group, you want to talk to a group of people who get it. Yeah, that's great. You know, and then I think the highest risk one, you know, that I offer is, you know, what if you want to bring it to people you know already, right? Mm -hmm. But then, but then there are others who are who are past that and who can start to have bigger conversations, who can put it up on social media for their entire network to see. You know, mm -hmm. there are people who, you know, you know, have podcasts now, you know, like you, right? <laughs> you, I mean, you've been doing a ton of work on this issue, but like you know, I, I think more and more people are, are testing their boundaries. Like, where is it that I can step into this conversation? Like, and, and I, and I, and I think like the idea is you find your comfort level and you go just one notch above it, hmm. not like 10 notches above it and destroy your whole support system when you have no other support system or anything like that. Right. But right. just one notch above your comfort level as you continue to heal, continue to heal, continue to heal so that you can come more and more out of this space of silence over time and eventually get to the point where you can actually bring your authentic self to the whole world. Yeah. 
Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's freedom. Yeah. That's freedom, that's just, right? That's, that just made me exhale. <laughs> yeah. Right? Just to get to that space and feel I that. think that's freedom. I mm, think that to 100%. me, that is freedom. Yeah. Mm. Well, Linda, I really appreciate you talking with me today. And what do you want people to know more? Like, how can they find you if someone's listening today and they're just like, dang, I need to talk to her. (laughs) (laughs) This Linda, she's great. (laughs) Oh, well, that's very kind. I would say that's very kind of you. Um, So, I mean, uh, you know, I have a website, lindakklein.com. My middle name is K-A-Y. So Linda K. Klein, my full name. Um, and then there's a section on Linda K. Klein called Break Free Together. And I know I talked a lot about Break Free Together today. So um, so you can learn more about Break Free Together and all the story exchange um, opportunities there. Or you can get there just going by to breakfreetogether.org. Cool. Awesome. Well, I just really appreciate you. And I think what you're doing is wonderful. And I get really excited seeing all of your posts and knowing that these conversations are being had because I just, I 100% believe, and that's why I got into sexuality education is when we uncover more about who we are sexually, we end up growing even more and become better people and get the relationships and life that we deserve and need and have a deeper understanding. And I think you're a part of that and are helping people. So I think it's great. Right back at you.